0: Thank you, Ricky, for that ministry and music. Turn with me in your Bibles, if you would, please. Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. The new year is traditionally a time of evaluating one's life, trying to make certain assessments, perhaps some changes that need to be made, turning over a new leaf, a time when many people make resolutions. Uh, I'm among those that uh, enjoy making resolutions. Perhaps you don't. But this morning, I want you to think with me about some goals that we could establish for ourselves for the coming year. My text this morning is Romans chapter 12, verses 1 to 8, and I want to look at some practical ways as to what it means to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. What does that look like? Well, I would say to you that what is involved in that certainly is loving service. And so I'm going to divide this text into three realms. The first is, how is loving service to be prompted? And then how is loving service to be promoted And then thirdly, how is loving service to be performed? So how is loving service to be prompted? Loving service is prompted by the gratitude for God's compassion and what he has done for us. Look with me at Romans 12.1. I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. Paul's appeal to the Roman believers is based on an appeal to the mercy of God that they have experienced. The mercy of God. Art you, therefore, by the mercy of God, the prompting is not some kind of manipulation out of guilt or out of trying to achieve a righteous standing before God, but rather the, the prompting is in a loving response to what God has done for us. I beseech you, brethren, based on the mercies of God. Now, if you look at Romans chapter 11, you don't need to turn there, but Paul has already referred to this mercy of God, for it says in Romans 11:30, For just as you were once disobedient to God, but now have been shown mercy because of their disobedience, so these also now have been disobedient in order that because of the mercy shown to them, that they also may be shown mercy. So in the context, the mercy is directly related to the disobedience of God's people. Each one of us here this morning has been disobedient to God. There are things in our lives that we know that God is not well pleased with. We know that there are, are sinful things that we have done. Not just before we are saved, but even after we're saved. We are very much aware of inconsistencies in our lives. We should equally be aware of the way in which God repeatedly deals with those things in such a merciful way. God is compassionate. God has pities. And we are recipients of God's mercy. But I would point to you that in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, it just doesn't simply refer to the mercy of God, but rather the mercies of God, plural. The word mercy is plural, thus, it's not just referring to the attributes of God. We can talk about God's attributes God is loving, God is just, God is holy. God is a God of wrath. God is a God of mercy. We can talk about the attributes of God. But here, the stress is not simply the attribute of God, but that attribute in action. That attribute being manifest to us over and over again. It's that action of God's pity and compassion as it works out in our lives. We have been recipients of God's mercy. That is pity and compassion. Time and time again. God has manifested his mercy towards us repeatedly. We are to respond to that mercy. In worship. Before we were disobedient. Now. Now. We are to worship. So loving service is prompted by a recognition of what it means to worship God. What does it mean to worship God? We are here and we call this a worship service. What is worship about? In the modern church, worship has almost become synonymous with music or singing. We'll say, well, now let us worship the Lord in song. Music is a very important and vital part of worship. But it's not exhaustive of worship. It is not synonymous with worship. It's an element of worship, But it's not the whole thing. It's not the whole thing. So what is the whole thing when we think about worship? The image in our text is very, very helpful. Because the image in our text is grounded upon the worship of the Old Testament. Notice verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. King James, which is your reasonable service. This verse is predicated upon the whole understanding of the Old Testament. And in the Old Testament, the priest performed services in the tabernacle. That's what the priestly function was referred to. It was referred to as a service. For example, Numbers 3, 6 and 7. Bring the tribe of Levi near and set them before Aaron the priest and they shall serve him and they shall perform the duties for him and for the whole congregation before the tent of meeting to do the service of the tabernacle. So the priests did the service of God. Romans 9 verse 4 refers to it when it says those who were Israelites to whom belonged the adoption as sons and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the temple service and the promises. So there was a temple service. That which was at the center of temple service, that which was at the, te- at the very center of of tabernacle worship was the offering of a sacrifice. That was the primary priestly duty. To offer a sacrifice on behalf of the people. The passage before us relies heavily on that imagery. One of the primary priestly duties of offering the sacrifice. So, In our service for God, if you look at verse 1, which is your spiritual service of worship, and the uh, King James, which is your reasonable service, they pick up on two different thoughts, both of which are in the text. The one is that the service is reasonable because it's the appropriate response to the mercy of God. And the NAS and the NIV pick up on that word where it's your spiritual act of worship. This is the spiritual worship. This is the spiritual sacrifice. We're to come and bring our bodies in offering them as a sacrifice to God. Not literally. We've got an altar up here and, and we're encouraging you to lay down and we're going to burn you up. It's not that. There's something else that I want to get to in just a moment. But that's what we're to do. That's what we have worshiped. When we have brought the sacrifice of ourselves to God, then we have worshipped. Now, these sacrifices in the Old Testament fell into a number of categories. One of them were sin offerings. The most notable of which were offered on the Day of Atonement. In which sacrifices would be made for sin. We don't bring any sacrifice to atone for our sins. And the offering of ourselves to God is not a means of atoning for sin or having sin taken away. Jesus Christ is the sacrifice for our sin. He offered himself up on the cross when he died in our place. He is the sacrifice of. For sin, That's what we probably most often think about when we think about the Old Testament sacrifices, the offering for sin. But there were other offerings, and they fell under the category of what are known as peace offerings. Some translate that as free will offerings. And there were a number of peace offerings in the Old Testament. The NIV uses the, the terminology fellowship offerings, for they were offerings that were brought in response to being in fellowship with God as opposed to the way of obtaining fellowship with God. Obtaining fellowship with God through the sin offering. Having fellowship with God, now they brought peace offerings. The most notable of the peace offerings were the thank offerings. Leviticus 7.11 These are the regulations for the fellowship offering a person may present to the Lord. If he offers it as an expression of thankfulness, And along with this thank offering, he is to offer, and it explains it. So there are these thank offerings. That is the imagery of our text. In thankfulness, in gratitude, in response to God's mercy upon us, we are to worship God by bringing our sacrifice to Him. And what is that sacrifice we're to bring? Not a goat. Not a bull. Not a calf. Ourselves. And we are to present ourselves as a living sacrifice. In response and thankfulness to God. Such a sacrifice is described as appropriate in Leviticus, excuse me, in Romans 12.1. Present your bodies a living, holy sacrifice. Acceptable to God which is your spiritual act of worship. He finds that to be acceptable. As a thank offering, we're to bring our bodies to the Lord. Well, what does that look like in a practical way? How do we to do that? Keep that in the back of your mind. I'll address it a little later in the message. But for more background, how was this loving service to be prompted? Well, negatively, verse 12, by not being conformed to this world. Do not be conformed to this world. Another translation would be, don't be molded by this world. Don't let the world pressure us into living and acting in a certain way. But we are to be different than the world. We are to think differently than what the world thinks. So we present our bodies as a living sacrifice out of a desire to live differently than those in the world round about us. Well, what does that look like? Verse 2, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This word for transformation is a word of, of absolute, complete change. The Greek word is the word from which we get the English word metamorphosis to go through a complete change. And the the greatest uh, illustration of that is the caterpillar and the butterfly. Caterpillar being the very same being that the butterfly springs from. But you see there's a complete metamorphosis. There's a complete change. So that even though they're the same being, they have very little in common. A butterfly has wings, a caterpillar does not. A butterfly can... Fly. A caterpillar cannot. Though they are the same being, they have gone through such an incredible transformation that now they are totally different. That's the kind of transformation that we are called upon to express. Well, how does that happen? Notice in the text, by the renewing of your mind. By the renewing of your mind. We are to think differently and therefore act differently from the world around us. But it begins with our mind. Listen to Ephesians 2. In which you formerly walked, according to the course of this world, according to the prince of power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. And among them we all too formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, Indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind. Our world lives primarily out of a desire to indulge the flesh. Indulge their desires. Whether they be sexual desires, whether they be desires for riches, desires for happiness. But so often what prompts the people around us is their emotional desire for things. Recapculated in that simple little phrase, if it feels right, do it. And decisions are based habitually on what we feel like doing, what we don't feel like doing, what we feel is right, what we don't feel is right. And the Word of God calls us to a different basis for making decisions. We are not to base our decisions on on what we feel like doing or even what we feel is the right thing to do. But we're to base our decisions based upon the Word of God, an intellectual decision, a mindful decision, a reasoned decision that results in sometimes having to say no to ourselves and what we feel like doing. And causing ourselves to do some things that at the time we may not feel like doing. We don't allow our emotions and our feelings to determine our actions and responses. But they are a reasoned response. Ephesians goes on to say this. This I say therefore and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind. Being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. So even when the decisions are made not out of emotion or out of pure desire, even when they are based on intellectual bases, the non-believer's mind is still an ignorant mind of what is the will of God. The book of Isaiah says, My thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. If we leave God out of the picture, even reasoned responses are oftentimes going to be inappropriate responses. So, we have to have a renewed mind to think like God thinks, to make the judgments that God makes. So, how does that happen? Well, here comes the importance of the Scripture. If you've been in this church for more than one uh, Sunday between New Year's and Christmas, you know that every year, every year, My emphasis is on reading the Bible through in a year. You thought that it wasn't going to be this year. Well, here it is. Here it is. Okay. Uh, We're talking about reading the Bible through in a year. So if you've done this from the first time that I've been here, you've now read your Bible through 27 times. 27 times. And I encourage you to read it through again. If you've never read through the Bible, I encourage you to start this year. But you see, the Bible is the way in which we have been given. To have our minds renewed, as the text says. To be made new. The Bible has value for many, many different reasons and purposes. I'm going to emphasize three. First, we need the Scriptures for guidance. For guidance. To be able to make good, moral decisions. So, the Word of God says in Psalm 119, that great Psalm Dedicated to the scriptures. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet. A light unto my path. It shows the way that we should walk. It shows the actions that we ought to take. It provides us with the wisdom that we need. To make daily decisions. Secondly. We need the scripture for. Spiritual nourishment. To refresh us. To renew us. To. To instill within us a renewed desire. Psalm 1. You probably know the psalm. Blesses the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth its fruit and its season. In that psalm, the imagery is, it's like being... Planted in the Word of God is like a tree planted by the riverbanks of a water. Those roots are fed by that stream and it just flourishes and brings forth fruit. As we are planted in the Word of God, it spiritually nourishes us and causes fruit to be born in our lives. It helps us in the relationship to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, we are told... Provides us with that fruit. And so we need to be planted in the word of God. And then thirdly, the word of God is seen to cleanse us. Spiritual cleansing. Ephesians 5.26 That he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. The washing of water with the word. In the New Testament, John chapter 17, uh, Jesus says, Sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth. What separates us from the world, and which cleanses us from all the impurities of the world, is the word of God. Our minds get jumped up during the, during the week, during the day. We watch TV that's filled with all kinds of non-Christian thoughts. I'm not just talking about the things that are risque. I'm just not talking about the things which are quote unquote "evil," but you know, even just watching the commercial, the, the, the way that you're going to gain happiness in the light in this life is to buy that new car, or to have this or to have that. All these non-Christian values, we're surrounded with constantly, we're just inundated with it. Co-workers, their thoughts, their attitudes. And we begin to think that way if somehow we are not renewed. If somehow our thinking isn't changed, if it isn't challenged. The benefit of reading the Word of God each day is to be brought face to face with the reality that the things I've heard today and the things that I read in the Bible don't mesh. They don't line up. The way in which people think I should rear my children doesn't match the way the Bible says I ought to read my children. The things that I heard on Oprah this week that tell me what is going to bring joy and happiness to my life don't match up with what the Bible says is going to bring joy and happiness to my life. And so I need to read the Bible every day so that my mind is cleansed of all that negative and wrong input that we are surrounded by every day. And so I encourage you to read your Bible every day. And one of the ways to do that is the Bible reading schedule. I'm going to hand you at the end of the service. It takes you through the entire Bible in a year. allows you to understand and know the whole counsel of God. Uh, I recommend it to you highly. Highly. And so we're going to distribute those... Bible reading schedules at the door. Next. How is loving service to be performed? And that is by doing the will of God. We are not just to be hearers of the word, but doers also. So what does presenting your body as a living sacrifice look like? Romans 12.2 Be not conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind with this goal. With this goal. You see, Bible reading is never intended to be an end in and of itself. It isn't we read the Bible and then close it. Some people preach that way. It drives me nuts. You don't just read the scripture passage and then close it and say whatever you want to say. Some people do that with their lives. They read what the Bible says, close it, and then go and live any way they want. The reason we read the scripture is so that we can live out the scripture. That it can be manifested in our life day by day. And so it tells us in Romans 12:2 That you may prove what the will of God is. Or the NIV. That you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. The ESV. That by testing you may discern what is the will of God. What is good, acceptable and perfect. So that we can know what God's will is for our lives. I wish I had a dollar. For everyone that asks me the question, what is God's will for my life? How do you know God's will? How do you know God's will? How do you know what God wants you to do? There are two answers to that from this text. The first is by knowing God's word. By knowing what is appropriate and inappropriate. By knowing what is right and what is wrong. God wants you to do what's right. He doesn't want you to do what's wrong. And so, I know. I know. I'm I'm walking down the street. I see a brand new Corvette. And it's sitting there. And I like Corvettes. And I'm wondering, is it God's will for me to to take that car or not? Did, Did God put that Corvette there for me? Now, you may think that's pretty stupid. But, you know, is that what God wants? He wants that Corvette. That's for me. It's got a big bow on it. Obviously a gift for me. How do I know? How do I know? Well, I'll pray about it. God, if that Corvette is for me, let the keys be in the ignition. If that car is not for me, may there be no keys in the ignition. I walk by. Guess what? There are keys in that ignition. Is that car for me? Should I take that car? Is that God's will for my life? No. How do you know that? How do you know that? Because God has said you should not steal. That's the way we make decisions. Based on what we know is right, what's wrong? Not on the basis of signs. Not on the basis of what I feel like doing. Not on the basis of opportunities. It's there. I can take it. But based on... On the moral law of God, what I know to be right and to be wrong, and so we know the will of God by knowing what is right and what is wrong. But then you will quickly say to me, "But there's so much that the Bible does not specifically reveal, such as where shall I go to college or not go to college, what what kind of job shall I have or or not have, what about those things, pastors?" Well, actually this text addresses that. Notice verse 2 with me. Then you will be able to test and prove what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. And then secondly, we are to recognize our strengths and weaknesses by considering the gifts that God has given to us. Look at verse 3. For, the, for through the grace given to me, I say to every man among you not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment, as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. Now, that simple phrase, as God has allotted to each a measure of faith, is filled with meaning. It's filled with imagery. It's the advantage of reading your Bible through, because you understand these allusions. It's very hard to understand the New Testament. Without knowing the Old Testament. And the allusion is to the children of Israel. When they are entering the promised land, God had allotted to each of the tribes of Israel a particular portion of land that they were to live in, and they were to cultivate, and they were to develop it. That was God's will for them. The land that he had allotted to them. Now we find out in this passage that God has allotted faith to us. He's doled it out. Just as he doled out the land in the Old Testament, he doles out faith to us. And this faith that he doles out to us is in a specific realm and area. Because notice as we read on in verse 4, for, uh, excuse me, verse 3. For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment, as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Since we have gifts that differ, that is the allotting of faith in this text. It's the differing gifts that we possess. We're all different in this room. Now, we may fall into certain categories, just like the tribes of Israel fell into certain categories in the Old Testament. There were 12 tribes. People argue about how many gifts there are. Some say there are 12, some say there are 14, some say there are 16. But there are a limited number of gifts. And so, there are about 250 people here this morning. That doesn't mean that we are so individual that we have 250 different gifts. But it does mean that among us, we share in common some of the gifts with each other, and there are some gifts that we don't share with each other. We are to recognize the gift that God has given us to do, and we're to use it. Look at verse 6. And since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, Let each exercise them accordingly. Accordingly. The ESV translates this. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. Let us use them. It's a great translation. God has given us a gift. Let's use it. How do I know God's will for my life? Answer. Based on the gift that he has given me to do. Based on my giftedness, I can know what God wants me to do. Based on my talents, based on my abilities, I can look at life, use my brain, know what's right and wrong, and then say, now is this a way in which my gift can be used? Not just in the church, but in life. In life. As a young person, you're growing up, And you're saying, what should I do with my life? The world would say, well, first of all, look at what opportunities are before you. Look at what the job choices are. Then look to see where the needs are. What are the chances of you getting and and fulfilling that job after you graduate? How much money is that job going to make? Is it going to make you rich? Is it not going to make you rich? The answer that the scripture gives, how should I know what to do? What kind of job should I have? It ought to be in keeping with your giftedness. Now, if you have the gift of teaching, that makes it pretty easy. You may decide, well, I'm going to be a school teacher. I can exercise my gift. That's not the only way that you can exercise the gift of teaching. But it's one way. Let's say you have the gift of mercies and help. Well, you might be involved in social services. Or the medical field. What if you have the gift of administration? Well, management. Business administration would seem like a likely choice, among others. But the point I'm making is, you look at what God has gifted you with, and then you seek to serve Him by using that gift. And so, one of the main differences that exists within the body of Christ is that there is a different way than some people look at developing their skills and their abilities. I think the scripture teaches us as a result of this basic premise, is that you work on your strengths as opposed to your weakness. The whole illustration of this chapter with these different gifts is you can't do everything. That's what it means not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. Don't be conceited. Don't think you can do everything. You can't do everything. And what you can do, you ought to do extremely well. What you're gifted in, you ought to hone that gift. You ought to develop that gift. You ought to sharpen that gift. And you ought to use it to the best of your ability. And the things that you're not good at, rely on somebody else for. In the church, rely on the body of Christ. Realize that there are other people around here that can do certain things better than I can. One of the things I've learned early in life, but fortunately I think I've learned it, is that there are a lot of people that are better at certain things than I am, and I just try to stay out of it. There are a lot of things that go on in this church I just stay out of, because I don't know anything. I haven't visited a property and maintenance committee meeting in about 25 years. Because the last thing they need is my advice on how to maintain this property or how to build a building. I don't know. I don't know a thing about it. I stay out of it. I let somebody else do that. I do what I know about. I do what I'm good at. But more importantly, I do what God wants me to do. He doesn't want me to do that. How do I know it? By his giftedness. By what he has entrusted to me and my abilities. So one of the things that's absolutely essential for you in presenting your body as a living sacrifice is to know what God's word says, what is right and what is wrong. And secondly, know what you are gifted at, know what you're good at, and then be willing to do it. As the ESV says, having the gift, use it. Use it. The way that you present your body as a living sacrifice to God is to say, I'm not going to be like the world. I'm going to use my mind to make good moral decisions about what's right and wrong. And I'm going to examine my life to see where my gifts are and I'm going to use them to your honor, and to your glory. That's what we need to do. So, how do we know what our gift is? How do we know where our abilities lie? That's part of what is involved in Romans 12 verse 2 when it says that you may prove what is the will of God. Or as NIV and ESV translate that, testing what is the will of God. Testing. Getting your feet wet. One of the best ways of knowing your abilities, your gifts, your talent is by getting your feet wet. By doing certain things. And you'll pretty soon find out what you're good at and what you're not good at, and if you don't know, other people will let you know. And they'll tell you if you're good at it or if you're not good at it, it will be evident to all. It'll be evident to all. There have been people that thought they ought to be preachers. It was pretty evident to me that they shouldn't. I won't go into a lot of illustration, but you know I've heard some people that they just, that's not them. It's for some, but it's not for all. We need to know what we are good at. And then be willing to do it. Be willing to use it. Give ourselves to it. And you're going to be happiest in life. If you have an occupation, which you understand is a vocation. Those are two different words. Occupation comes from the word to occupy. That which takes up your time. For a lot of people, that's what an occupation is. It's what takes up your time. And you spend the most of your day. The word vocation comes from the word vocal to call. It's a calling. Our occupation should be something more than just taking up our time. It ought to be a calling from God. That doesn't mean that everybody has to be a full-time Christian worker. What it means is that each and every person in this room who knows the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior is seeking to serve Him in what I do all day long. I do it to my best. I put in a good day's work. I make every effort to excel. And I enjoy what I'm doing because I am serving God and because it fulfills my heart's desire. Because this is what my gifts are. These are what my talents are. These are what my abilities are. If the only reason you're at the job that you're at is to get a paycheck, that's a pretty miserable way to live life. That's pretty hard to get up in the morning and go off to work hating what you do, seeing no value in it other than the fact it feeds my family. Do something that's in keeping with your gifts, And abilities to the honor and glory of God. And use those gifts and abilities in the life of the church. This morning as you leave, you're going to get two different handouts. One, you're going to get a Bible reading schedule. That I hope that uh, you'll use to read the Bible through in a year. And the second is a may I help sheet. There are going to be four people in the back handing out these may I help sheets. I would ask every uh, teen and adult to take this. It's a multi-page document with a whole bunch of different ways in which people can be active in the life of the church. People will say, well, what can I do in the church? Well, here's a, a pretty lengthy list of things. And they're categorized under certain headings. And those headings tend to reflect committees in our church. And we have elders that are in charge of those committees. So if you see something that's under one of those headings, go to the elder that's in charge of that committee and say, well, what does this involve? Uh, What kind of commitment does this take? What kind of abilities do you have to have? What, what, What are you doing? So we have this pretty lengthy list of ways in which people can be involved in the life of this church. Maybe you're already heavily involved. If you are, I'd encourage you to check the things you're still willing to do. Please fill it out, even though you're already doing them. Let us know you want to continue to do it. And maybe you're not doing this particular thing now, but you'd say, I'd be open to it. I'd be interested in finding out more. Now, if you fill this out, and you hand it back in, um, that doesn't mean that you automatically next week are going to be doing this thing. What it means is that you've let the powers that be know that you're willing. One of the situations we often run in at committee meetings is we sit there and we wonder, now who would like to do this? Who should we approach? Who should we ask? It's hard to know all of the abilities, talents, and interests of everybody in this room. And we may be overlooking people. You may have musical ability we don't know anything about. You may have teaching ability. You may have mechanical ability. You may have all kinds of different interests and stuff that we would never think of. But we can pull out these sheets and say, well, here's somebody that has has this interest. Let's talk to them and see if they're willing to take this responsibility on. So you're not signing your life away this morning. You're just saying, if the need arises in the church, you can contact me to see if I'm willing and able at that time to fulfill it. That's all we're asking. I'm pretty sure this has a place for your name on it. But if we forgot that, we need your name. Okay? But, but I, I think there's a place for you to put your name up. But you need to fill it out, or it's not going to be very helpful to us. But I also would ask that you might think about this as a way of proving God's will for your life. That maybe you would take on some things that would be stretching you. And you find out, you know, I, I, I really can do that. I have that gift. Not only that, I like it. I enjoy it. Or you may do something and say, man, I didn't like that at all. That's not me. Alright, that's good. That helps you know. That helps you realize what God's will is for your life. It's not all that nebulous. Two primary factors in knowing the will of God for your life. Number one, know the Word of God. So that you're able to discern between right and wrong, good and bad. That you know how to apply that gift. And then secondly, know what your gift is. And do something that is consistent with that gift to the honor and glory of God. So this morning as you leave, two handouts. Uh, one, the Bible reading schedule. The other, may I help sheet. Uh, please fill that out. Get it back to us. There's a box in the Narthex for... Uh, You to uh, put that in after you've filled it out. I trust it will be beneficial and helpful to you. Let's pray. Our God, I pray this morning that we would understand worship in a very practical way. It's the presenting of ourselves to you. To putting ourselves at your disposal. To respond in gratefulness and thankfulness to you. Lord, part of that response is certainly in music as we sing to your praise and your honor and your glory. Part of that response is in listening to the word of God, to know what you would have us to do, and then purposing our hearts to do it. And then also it's in presenting ourselves to actually do what you would want us to do. To live it out daily. In these walls and out of these walls, That we would really wrestle with decisions about my life. How I'm spending every day. Not just occupying the time. But see, my work as a calling of God. Based on the abilities and talents that He has given me. To use to His glory and His honor. That I serve well. That I enjoy my labor. That I have a benefit to others in helping them and and encouraging them. I pray for each one. Not that we all have to be full-time Christian workers. But in whatever area it is in life that we see it in keeping with the abilities and talents and gifts that you've given us. And Lord, I, I pray that each of us would seek to be involved somehow, practically in the life of our church knowing that there are certain things that I can do that very few others can. Not that we become conceited in that, but we're honest in that and recognize that what I can do is needed. It's beneficial. It's helpful. And it's what you've given me as a way of serving you. And may we understand, oh God, that in a very real sense, to mow the lawn Or to teach Sunday school is equally important in the service of God. Washing the dishes on Fellowship Sunday. Meaningful tasks or what we think of as mighty and glorious tasks. May we understand that in the body of Christ whatever gifts we have whatever ways that we use them fulfills us brings glory to you, and a benefit to all of God's people. May we, this year, present ourselves to you as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, realizing that that is our reasonable service, our spiritual act of worship. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.